0: Good morning. This is KBBI Homer AM 890 and K201AO Seward 88.1 FM. I am Kathleen Gustafson and this is the coffee table. And sitting around me in the studio today, all kinds of representatives for animal control and friends of animals and the animal shelter and even an adoptee and a star animal himself. So I'm going to start with the real star. That is Cedar. Cedar is here, and Jen Liston Bowman is Cedar's adopter. What do you say? What do you call yourself?
1: I have no idea. I've never named it. (laughs) Have you not? Is this your first dog that you've adopted? No, no. Um, We've actually gotten another dog from the shelter as well, who passed away about two years ago.
0: Oh, so So. you've you've been to the shelter, you've been through the shelter adoption process. We're going to get to that over the course of the next hour because animals are the topic. Wild animals, domestic animals, domestic animals, gun feral. So many things to talk about. Lieutenant Ryan Browning of Homer Police Department is on Zoom. Do you read me, Ryan? Are you there? I got you. Good morning. Thanks for being on. Also... Also, Jillian Rogers from Homer Animal Shelter, Alaska Mindful Paw- Pause. Good morning. Good morning. And Jason Harriman, ADF&G. You're the field guy. What do we really call you? Field officer?
2: Uh, local wildlife biologist.
0: Wildlife biologist, Jason Herman. How do I get, do I get, did I get your name right?
2: Very close, Harriman. Harriman, <laughs> okay. Think of the fjord.
0: I will do that all the next hour. <laughs> So the first thing I'd like to welcome everyone and thank you. But the first thing I want to talk about is on at Monday night's Homer City Council meeting there were changes to ordinance 22-72. And Jillian Rogers from uh, the animal shelter, you have been looking at this for a while. Can you break it down for us and what happened and what changed?
3: Sure. Uh, so, first of all, the, the shelter, we uh, provide animal control services and enforcement for the city, and um, we've been looking at rewriting the ordinances, and not big changes, just some of the wording is is a little confusing or a little vague, um, and people can kind of interpret that how they want, and they definitely do that, and so we're just looking at um, making it a little more succinct, uh, and so this one, this was the start of it, and so... I met with the Park Act meeting with the Park Act c- committee in before Christmas to talk about uh, using this this change that happened Monday night as a kind of a stopgap until we can revise all of the animal ordinances. So what happened Monday was a second reading in a public hearing um, and an approval of an amendment to Title 19, which is Campgrounds and Parks. And basically, the gist of it is all dogs need to be physically restrained in the city's campgrounds and parks. So that means on a leash. So there's no question about voice control or electronic leashes physically restrained. They have to be tied up.
0: You must be on on a leash. Mm -hmm. So Lieutenant Browning, that sounds great and safe and helpful. But how is that? How does that play out in terms of enforcement? Like what, well, are the, what are the penalties and how often do they actually do those penalties actually go out
4: well we're uh, we're obviously charged with enforcement um for city ordinances along with uh, state law um we do respond um to these calls typically what happens when we have one come in we'll refer them to to jillian in the animal shelter to call them and she handles that stuff um when it comes to actually citing somebody um the court changed some some rules and so it has to be one of us um everything is filed electronically with the court so you'll have an officer that will get a hold of you and um and actually issue the citation uh i think for the first two it's a 50 fine for having an um unrestrained animal in the city limits after that i think the fines uh jump up to 100 or 300 depending upon how many convictions um so the first fine would be 50 if you get convicted of that. The second would be $100. And then if you have two prior convictions, the fine would be $200.
3: If I could just jump in, LT. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Uh, so t- that's Title 20, and that's the animal uh, um, chapter in the code. This revision on Monday night, the first offense is a $300 fine. So they up the fine. So
0: that's the newest. Yeah.
4: Oh, well, there you go. I well, haven't seen that yet.
0: Yes. How often though are you finding people?
3: You know, it's difficult and I'm just going to talk first, right? But um Yeah, go ahead. It's difficult because we get calls about loose dogs oftentimes and it depends what's going on at the shelter. You know, I also run the shelter and I have a couple of great employees, but if we're having a day um, sometimes we can't get out immediately, but we always try to make sure we can stick a sign on the door that say we're on an AC call and, and we'll be right back, but a lot of times we show up and the dog is gone. Or um, the people who called it in don't have any information. Like, you know, you could get license plate. You can get a description. If you could even talk to the owner, any information would be helpful. So a lot of times we go on these wild dog chases um, and, and nothing ever comes of it. And I have
0: seen you out there on <laughs> wild dog chases before.
3: And uh, it's it's frustrating for the people who call it in Um it's, it's kind of the same with any complaints that we get. You know, in 2022, uh, I as an animal control officer and my cohort re- uh, responded to 294 calls. And some of those were easy and some of those were pr- pretty challenging that we had to get um, HPD involved pretty extensively. So we do our best to respond to every call, every loose dog call. If you post on Facebook, I understand that's a great way to vent and Facebook is a great <coughs> tool for the shelter. Um, but we... If you don't call it in we can't respond basically
4: that it boils down to that
0: okay and lieutenant browning do you want to add anything to that
4: uh you know i think jillian kind of hit the nuts and bolts so yeah. the only i add is you know usually there's only two of us working um life and safety calls are going to come first before a loose dog uh, particularly one that you know is just running around and eventually going to find its way home um, you know, But we do, uh, we do try to deal with them when we can and, and help out um, Jillian uh, when they need us. So um, the biggest thing I'd say is just for people, just make sure your animals are confined. When you're out in public spaces, put them on a leash. Uh, you know, voice control is, there are very, 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 very few dogs who are under or respond to immediate voice control. Uh, and it takes a lot of work, a lot of practice, and a lot of time to get your animal to that point. Yeah, everybody um, yeah. says their dog is under voice command. Yeah. No, no. 99.9% <laughs> uh, no. Uh, and so, you know, I, I just, if there's anything I could get through to people is if you have an animal and you are off of your property, just leash that thing. It, it makes life for everybody a lot better.
0: Okay, thanks. That's Lieutenant Ryan Browning from the Homer Police Department. I want to uh, get back to Jillian for a minute from uh, the Homer Animal Shelter in Alaska Mindful Paws. Because I want to know, do I need a pet license? And under what circumstances do I need a pet license? And do I just come to the shelter? Shelter's not open all the time anymore. It's more of you have different hours. Can you talk a little bit about what, what the deal is with pet licenses and how to access them?
3: Sure. Uh, if you live within the city limits and you have a dog that's over the age of six months, you need to have a license. Um, And it's $25 for two years if your animal is spayed or neutered. If they're not, it's $100. And you need to have proof of current rabies vaccination to do that. Um, We are working on an online system for licenses. We're not there yet. And the shelter, we are there every day, seven days a week, 365 days a year from eight to five we are, the door is not open. Um, that's a safety concern for, for us. Um, and so you, you just have to call. I mean, we we prefer you to make an appointment, but it could be for 15 minutes from now. Um, but if you're standing outside the door and it's locked, just call. And and if we're on an animal control call, we're not there, but leave a message and we'll call you right back. I mean, so far, this it's working okay. A lot of people are used to walking in and, and we miss um, the people that would just come in for an afternoon of cat canoodling, um, and you can still do that. You just need to call.
0: Oh, good, because we're going to get to that later. Like, mm-hmm. how can, under what circumstances can I walk the dogs at the shelter or pet the cats? Yeah,
3: and licenses are a really great way to return an animal to its owner immediately. So if we're cruising around, we see a dog, it's got a license, we look it up, we find the address, we will bring it right home versus coming into the shelter, paying an impound pound fee, and all the rigmarole that goes around
0: with along with that. Thank you for bringing that up because we started with enforcement and the new $300 fines, but I definitely want to make sure people understand that that the shelter wants you to have your pet back. Oh god. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, w- yeah. We and want you to have We want pets to stay in homes. That's our goal. And so the I think w- the only other thing I have the only other question I have right now for you is is uh, what are some of the other changes to city ordinances in terms of animal control that you would like to see and what's the path to getting there? Uh, So we
3: are going to meet as a a very tiny shelter team to go over all the animal ordinances and just the wording you know wording is key and so we're just going to button them up a little bit and make them um just so there's no questioning about what this word means or what that word means. And then it goes to it helps
0: to make them enforceable.
3: Right. And and that's always it always comes down to enforcement. And and like I said, we do the best we can. Um, we're asking the city during this next budget cycle for a little bit more money to our budget so we can hire somebody else. We're just, you know, perpetually understaffed, which no surprise there. I that's a familiar is. song. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, So I would like to spend more time, you know, helping with the vet at the shelter and enforcing uh, animal control um, laws. But yeah, it just comes down to staffing and enforcement. We would like to take out the the wording that says in the current Title 20 animal laws, um, you know, dogs must be controlled by a competent person. I'm paraphrasing here. Um, But that can be taken to mean anything, you know, voice control or electronic leashes or Um, so we want to just make it clear that your dog needs to be physically restrained. And I walk my dog on the beach and sometimes I take her leash off and that's okay. My dog doesn't stray far, but if there's other dogs around, I immediately put her on. We're not going to worry about, you know, Bowser and Bobo who are down at low tide playing Chuck it for a few minutes. You're not going to get a ticket for that.
0: You're talking about loose dogs I'm running talking around about the loose neighborhood. loose dogs
3: running around the neighborhood or loose dogs on the beach that are causing problems, that are running up to people, jumping on people, jumping on kids, even if in a friendly way. I don't really care if your yeah. dog's are Killing friendly. chickens so, yeah. oh, in yeah. the neighborhood. Oh, yeah, that's a that's a big issue. We deal with that a lot, too. And Jason will talk more about uh, dog and wildlife interactions.
0: Yes. I'm going to get back to Lieutenant Browning and bring in Jason in just a moment for that very reason. We're going to talk about more about wild animals. But before we do, then I would like to hear from you one more time, Jillian, what happens when a domestic animal gets brought into shelter? We've talked a little bit about it. Now, uh, homeranimals.org, Homer Animal Friends, they have a wonderful list on their website When you lose your pet, call your neighbors. Get on social media. Call the animal shelter. We have the Critter Line here. At KBBI, we've sent a lot of dogs. We've gotten a lot of dogs and whatever back to their homes. Uh, KGLT's Dog on News, the Homer Veterinary Clinic. You can make sure you've got, although this is, I was going to say, make sure you have a recent photo of your dog, but the world we live in now, your phone is filled with recent photos of your pet. So make sure you've got one that you can share out. But what are some of the things that are going to happen when a a dog comes? First of all, let's start with a dog that just escaped and everybody's looking for.
3: Oh, okay. Um, If it's a dog that escaped and everybody's looking for, chances are good that we know about it. And so we contact the appropriate person right away. Um, When a stray dog comes in and we don't know, a lot of people will find dogs running down the road and their fear for the dog's safety, so they bring them to us. We scan them for a microchip, we take a picture, we post it on social media first, we check for fleas. Um, we don't vaccinate immediately on intake, but if the dog is there for more than 12 or 24 hours, then we will vaccinate. But it is isolated in the meantime just to prevent any kind of spread if there's anything going on with that dog. Um, you know, the, there is no state law about how long we hold stray animals, um, and so in city code, it says three days, and most shelters do that, 72 hours, with or without identification. We always hold for a minimum of five days. And if nobody comes, and this happens mostly with cats, if you don't call the shelter or come looking for your animal within five days, it is available for adoption. And that has um, only a few times has somebody returned weeks or months later looking for their animal, realizing it's adopted out, and we do our best. But if we kept every animal for an infinite amount of
0: time, then, you know.
3: Gotcha. Wouldn't work that way.
0: Also, what about... So I'm about to introduce Cedar because Cedar has a very special story, but I did just get a question in to Kathleen at kbbi.org. If you have any questions, you can email them. This one for, uh, I think, Lieutenant Browning and and Jillian Rogers. Uh, Bill says how can the city find owners for a loose dog in the park if they have not provided a dog park first does this mean that every dog running in the fields at jack gist should be reported now i think the answer is no but i want to i want you to respond to that in terms of the possibility of a dog park
3: the way the ordinances were changed bill um technically yeah they could be but if the dogs aren't causing a problem. I am not going to worry about it. The The way the the ordinances have been changed to say the dogs must be physically restrained at all times is for to try and cut down the number of incidents. Dog-people interactions, dog-dog interactions, negative interactions that we're seeing. So if your dog is playing chuck it at Jack Guest... Right, and not it.
0: menacing any children exactly. or whatever, then yeah. no one's going to call but anyway. But
3: we've also been called to loose dogs at the softball fields that have bitten children. So... You know, we like to leave it up to dog owners and and rely on a bit of common sense, and sometimes people just love their dogs so much they could never do anything wrong, and nothing like that's ever going to happen until it happens.
0: Well, Lieutenant Browning, this seems to me like the crux of the problem of enforcement because we have rules and you need to follow them, but then there's also this area, this gray area, where loose dogs in the park that aren't really causing any trouble don't get reported, and so the whole idea that this can be broadly enforced seems impossible to me.
4: Yeah. I mean, there's there, I think the intent of the ordinance, like Jillian said, is to keep, to keep loose dogs from causing issues with people and, and other animals. And, you know, honestly, if we get a call of a, a single dog, you know, down in Jack Geist and there's no one around and someone's, you know, playing Chuck it with their dog, um, you know are we going to make a federal case out of it probably not i mean the ordinance is there it's pretty clear if you're going to be in a city park your animal has to be uh leashed but i think there's some um area to work with folks you know if we can solve an issue without having to to write paper and a receipt we'd rather do that uh, but at the end of the day the, the ordinance is what it is uh, but i do think the intent was to keep animals from interacting with other people and animals Um, So if there's a a softball game, baseball game going on, whatever, there's people down there, I think it's incumbent upon the owner of the animal uh, to go ahead and leash their their critter up so that we don't have any issues and we're not getting called.
0: Well, thanks for that response. And if you have any questions for the panel, you can email Kathleen at kbbi.org or you can call 907-235-7721.
3: I just want to say that the catalyst for this specific change... This change to Title 19 on Monday night that happened and was approved um, was mostly because of loose dogs in campgrounds pooping everywhere (laughs) on people's campsites and bugging and getting into people's food. So that was the catalyst for this particular change. We are looking at changing the the entirety of Title 20, which is the animal regulations. Um, But that was the catalyst for this one. It was that nuisance dogs in campgrounds while people are
0: camping and, and running amok. Gotcha. So let's meet Cedar, because Cedar is a special story. Was Cedar named Rahim when he came to the shelter? Yep. So here's what I know about this beautiful, sleek, inky black dog, super friendly, uh, that uh, Cedar was being called in. People were calling in on Cedar because he was loose, no home, no owners, and starving, and eating, surviving on bird seed. Yeah, eating the
3: suet out of people's bird feeders. And so somebody finally caught him and brought him to us and he was extremely thin and he had a gaping hole in the shaft of his penis.
0: You can say penis on this show.
3: Um, the hole went all the way up through his urethra and he was just dribbling pee everywhere and it, pretty uncomfortable. So like a puncture wound? You know, I, it, the vet was pretty baffled because it was a clean, it was a clean hole so it maybe he was born with some kind of genetic defect, maybe it was an old injury that had healed, but it was pretty clear that nobody wanted him because he, he was a little dribbler. Um, so this, he was at the shelter for a total of six weeks. Dr. Zach Gardenforce uh, worked his magic and thanks to support from Homer Animal Friends, um, they supported us by paying for his surgery, which was not cheap and it was extremely extensive and the recovery was extremely extensive. And through it all, the Bowman family visited him before, during, and after, and eventually fell in love with him. And he is fully recovered and just happy as a clam.
0: So that brings Jen Liston Bowman into this conversation. Jen, you adopted Cedar and changed his name. Cedar, I only have one question for you, and I've been waiting (laughs) days to ask it. So if (laughs) you can get the mic down there, thank you. Cedar, are you a good boy? He says yes. His
1: eyes just opened. He He's says laying yes. down right
0: now. <laughs> but but on to you, Jen Liston Bowman. <laughs> Can you talk a little bit about? Well, you said you've adopted from the shelter before. I have. Like, what's the process like for the person who's going in, who's walking in to look for a dog? And did they did Jillian call you, or someone call you and say, "Look, we have a dog who really needs help," or did you just wander on in looking for a new dog?
1: Initially, I saw um, him posted on Facebook that. Um, You know, he had been brought in, and I thought he was really cute. Um, So I, I don't know, pretty soon after that, decided to go in and see him. Um, Our dog passed away about two years ago, so I was definitely ready for a new one. Um, So just kind of visited him, but, you know, he was really scared and never really came to me, so I just would sit with him for a little while and read or do whatever just to spend a little time with him.
0: And uh, Cedar's kind of a special case because Cedar needed medical care.
1: By the time we brought him home, you get close was, to
0: that, Mike, would you? Yeah. Thanks.
1: By the time we brought him home, uh, he was pretty good. They had taken very good care of him at the shelter. Shelter.
0: And your last dog was a shelter dog as well. Yes. And yeah. fr- and how long did you have the dog?
1: Uh, he was twelve, so when he passed, so we got him as a puppy, nice. and he was. All of his siblings were in the Homer Anchor Point area. We would meet for birthdays and stuff, so.
0: Oh, nice. And Cedar's not not an old dog. Cedar's about a year old, did you
1: say? Yeah, about a year and a half. Yeah.
0: Very nice. He's
1: definitely got some puppy in him still.
0: (laughs) And so, Jillian Rogers, I want to know how often, or how many, you were talking about how many dogs, how many calls you went out on. How often are you and Homer Animal Friends collaborating to get dogs me- health care, the medical care they need?
3: Yeah, it's been a long working relationship between the Homer Animal Shelter and Homer Animal Friends uh, way before my time. I've been there for five years. I do sit on the board of Homer Animal Friends as a shelter chair. Um, and so Homer Animal Friends p- pays for 50% of our spays and neuters. Um, and then in extenuating circumstances like rahim surgery, um, I will write a letter to the board asking if they can help, and, and they always come through. I mean, they have come through, too, for a little puppy named Kilo that got hit by a car and needed surgery on his legs. And um, so as they, you know... Yeah, how they often
0: are you taking in injured dogs?
3: You know, not that often. Luckily, um, maybe four to six a year. Um, and they, the... Ex- the injuries vary or, you know, we, we've taken in parvo pups and, and things like that as well. So um, we do work with Dr. Christine Marlow, who's our shelter vet and she comes at least once a week. She's on call for us um, and she's incredible. So we are able to do some surgeries right there at the shelter in the medical room, which is super helpful. Um, Yeah, so it's a pretty well-oiled machine at this point.
0: The question to uh, Kathleen at kbbi.org is, are you a kill shelter, and how long do animals stay before they're euthanized?
3: Uh, We are a no-kill shelter. That's a bit of a misnomer, um, but we do qualify. So if your live release rate is over a certain percentage, um, you qualify as a no-kill shelter, and so our live release rate was up over 97%. And live release means going out via adoption, going to foster homes, or being transferred to a rescue. So we never euthanize for time or space, but that's not to say that we don't ever euthanize. We have euthanized um, people, aggressive dogs. We've euthanized, you know, mortally wounded or severely injured or sick or old cats or dogs. Um, And sometimes people will come in knowing that they're surrendering their animal for euthanasia. Um, And we always double check. We don't do what's called convenience euthanasias, um, we'll get records or the animal will see our vet or Ketchum Bay Animal Hospital or Homer Veterinary Clinic um, to confirm that there's nothing else that can be done. And so as a last act of kindness, we do have the
0: capability and we
3: do euthanize. In 2022, we euthanized four animals. So our numbers are pretty low.
0: And are they usually, I mean, I was uh, thinking of Lieutenant Browning as well. And also it's time to bring Jason Harriman into the conversation because those, when dealing with animals, like, are most of those animals that were aggressive toward humans?
3: Maybe half, and it's dogs. We don't euthanize feral cats. We work with Clear Creek Cat Rescue. We work with Cat Tree and Barkery, Pet Pride, K-Pal Rescue. Um, we have really strong relationships with all of the rescues really in the state. Um, and so Clear Creek will, will work on rehabilitating truly feral cats, not just like spicy cats, but really truly wild cats. Um, work on rehabilitation. If that's not possible, then they'll find barn cat homes for them. So they'll find caretakers that will leave them food and water, and they can be in their barn or their high tunnel or wherever, um, and place them like that. And we have also done that um, barn cat program as well. Um, but yeah, dog, there's no time. We've had dogs stay for weeks and months, and that's pretty rare. We, if a dog is going to stay with us, you know, Rahim was an exception because he was injured. There's a dog that comes to my name Nelly, who was a little pit bull. She was used as a bait dog in a fighting ring, and she was really hard to place, and she ended up bouncing back and forth between homes and fosters and back at the shelter, and eventually, after a year, she found um, her, the, her best home ever. She's living in the Nilchuk with a couple of other dogs. She gets to ride on the four-wheeler, which she loves. So we, we generally do a pretty good job at always finding them homes. Euthanasia is never, ever anything but a l- very last resort.
0: And thanks. That's Jillian Rogers from Alaska Mindful Pause Homer Animal Shelter. Jason Harriman, let's get you in on this. Thank you for hanging on the uh, for hanging around so long with me not asking you questions because now we're at wild animals, and so that's that's where you get called into the field.
2: Yes, that's uh, unfortunately where we we do get calls down at the Fish and Game Office. Um, sometimes they go through the city, sometimes they go through the state troopers, but usually folks call our office. it's usually regarding loose dogs chasing wildlife, um, which is a bit of an issue. Um, Homer city limits is only so big. And when you look at the greater Homer area, most of it is actually not inside Homer city limits. And so that actually falls outside of Jillian's jurisdiction and the Homer PD's jurisdiction. And unfortunately, then that falls to Fish and Game and the state troopers. Um, Our resources are limited, um, and our options are also limited, you know we don't like who you
0: can respond to or what you can respond to amount of
2: time and and effort that we can put into a response um you know if we're called out for a dog who's chasing um wildlife we're going to try to identify the dog um obviously and you and Jillian must work pretty closely together (laughs) we spend some time on the phone back and forth yep you know if if we can catch the dog um find out who the owner is, return it to the owner, have a discussion with the owner. You know, that's kind of the first place we start. Um, Sometimes we'll take them down to the shelter, drop them off with her. Um, That's a little bit outside of um, the Homer Animal Shelter's, um, oh, what's, uh, mission, because it's not inside Homer City Limits a lot of times. the the last resort we have is to put down a dog and we will do that if it's out chasing wildlife particularly if it's a habitual offender Um, you know if we've talked to the owners um, tried to educate them um, on ways that they can contain their animal when it's and it's not being done Um, you know the big problems we have as far as dogs chasing wildlife one it's a stress to the wildlife you know winters are hard on wildlife they're already Taxed as far as trying to survive and get through. So, if somebody's dog out chasing a moose, for example, you know, that's more stress on that animal. Another big um, concern, especially when we're talking moose, is the danger that that causes to people and other people's pets and those owners. Um, if you have a dog who's habitually harassing and chasing moose, that's going to cause that moose to then not be very happy when it comes to um, dogs. We have cases where. We know a moose has been harassed um, in, in an area where we've had reports in the past. And then sometime later in the week, that moose sees somebody with a dog, oftentimes on a leash, walking it, that um, is not, then doesn't respond well. That moose will actually go and stomp the dog that is on that leash that a person is holding on to, And obviously that's not good for the dog. And oftentimes the person gets injured as well. So those are some of the things we're trying to avoid with these regulations. They're in place for a reason, um, not because we think that, uh, you know, just things are bad, but we actually are worried about the public safety. We're worried about the wildlife as a whole.
0: Well, so you get called upon, I mean, there are the cases where let's just stay with the moose, where people want to put out hay or feed the moose and uh, because they like having them around. And then those moose could, are potentially, they, they're in danger of having to be put down because they're too habituated to people?
2: And so we, basically we, we have um, laws in the state that make it illegal to feed um, big game animals. Um, and that's because we have concerns as far as how those animals would become habituated to people in a food source, and they often get defensive of food sources. I mean, people typically think of bears as a danger when it comes to food source and attractants. What they don't necessarily think about is the moose that you're referring to. Now, this time of year, moose are stressed. They're looking for food. Um, They can get very aggressive and defensive of a food source if they find it. Um, That can be as simple as somebody's fruit trees that they don't have a fence around, or they aren't uh, wrapped in burlap, and the the moose can get at them. It can be as extreme as somebody who's actually putting food out for the moose, Um, whether it be someone who has a a bird feeder that's up that has bird feed on, or maybe they're feeding their chickens outside with chicken scratch, and the chickens don't get all of that. Or um, they have chickens in a pen, and some of the food gets scattered around. Um, A big problem we have is hay this time of year. Um, There's a little bit of a misconception out there that moose – can't or won't eat hay they can actually process hay they will eat it and uh, actually very much appreciate it this time of year if they have a, a source so when you're out feeding your horses if you're just feeding them out in a field um, you know those moose are going to be attracted to that feed source and then we've got an issue as far as the moose becoming aggressive a lot of times of that food source.
0: Okay thanks for that now I have um, I live just 200 paces downhill from the station and and there are bunnies everywhere. So I want to ask you and Lieutenant Browning I'm coming for you as well because I want to ask you what's going what how are they classified? These are not wild animals. These are escapees or they've been released. They are bunny rabbits. They are not hares. And so they're not like how how do you qualify? They're not native.
2: They are not native, so under state game laws, they're classified as deleterious exotic wildlife. Um, There's no closed season on them, no bag limits. If you have a hunting license, you can take them. Well, except that we're in the city limits. limits,
0: That's why I want to throw this now to Lieutenant. A little bit of an issue. Right. Uh, So, Lieutenant Browning, if if these like if someone could you box trap them with or catch them like in the, the, the the traps people use to catch cats. Uh, could you use a yeah, wrist rocket? Go for it. What...
4: And, and yeah, there's no hunting uh, regardless of the means you can't hunt within city limits. So Got I would recommend a box trap uh, you know and contact the animal shelter, you know some people that might have live traps to, to get them. Um, what you do from there, I, you know maybe take them out to outside city limits and then uh, you know go make some stew out of them or something like that. Um, but that's actually not something I've even run into in the 12 years I've been here.
0: Really? They're all over. They're all
2: over my neighborhood. So we we do have live traps. Oh,
0: wait. You go ahead, Jason Harriman. Thank you, Lieutenant Browning. And then I'm getting to you, Jillian.
2: Don't worry. We do have live traps down at Fish and Game that folks can um, take out, check out for a deposit. Um, Folks come and get these for various reasons to deal with um, animal problems they have. Our large ones, it's a $100 deposit uh, basically write us a check we hold on to that check until we get the trap back and that's just to pay for the cost of the trap if we don't get it back we have smaller ones it's uh fifty dollars a trap and people rent those out on a, a regular basis
0: now what is the harm of just leaving the bunnies also you don't recommend that people put out okay here's i just have to admit this so I was making vegetable soup, and I had all these clippings. I had, like, shavings of carrot. I had cabbage leaves that were not going into the soup. And I was like, this is silly. I'll just throw them out there for the rabbits that I see. And now I have rabbits. Jason's
3: getting his ticket book out.
0: I know. I know. I'm, I am I know it's wrong. I feel it. Uh, but I do want to, because you made a noise when, <laughs> uh, when someone mentioned rabbit stew. And so I would... <laughs> I want to know if you want to add anything to this about the um, about the feral bunny I'm not, population. I'm definitely not advocating for throwing
3: bunnies in a stew pot, um, but we also rent out traps. These are not considered domestic animals, so we tell we get calls about the bunnies all the time, and I love it. I love it when people reach out for uh, to us, and we can offer them resources or help in any way. And so what I tell people is, if you can walk up to the bunny, pick it up and have a little snuggle fest, we'll take it. That is considered an adoptable bunny. So these are, not you're right, they're not hares. They're domesticated breeds that have been let loose generations ago and are now breeding like bunnies. And we've got these cute little lop-eared things running around town that people are concerned about. And I get it. Believe it or not, they're actually pretty resilient. If you want to help, and maybe this is a segue into uh, helping animals in cold weather, you know, you can put out an insulated little dog house or cat house, igloo coolers, make great insulated houses, put some straw, not hay, straw. Um, and that way if there are community cats, if there are lost buns, you know, they have a little bit of shelter and warmth. So that's something you can do. If you can't walk up to the rabbit and pick it up, then we're it's not a feral take it animal. Sh- yeah. yeah. And and it's just not adoptable. So taking a seemingly wild or feral animal and sticking it in
0: a little cage at the shelter, I won't do it gotcha thanks for that do and you so want to I, add to that Jason Harriman
2: well I, I just um, I would ask folks not to feed deleterious exotic wildlife or just the same as feeding any wildlife the same
0: goes for like the pheasants in yeah. the in the ditches
2: yeah and, and so pheasants uh, again those are a case where people have released pheasants and uh, they have managed to propagate and uh, continue their existence um, you know it is illegal to um, put um, non-native species out on the landscape and just turn them out um, under state law, you can't You can't
0: release your bunny when you're tired of it. No, exactly. Or you can, (laughs) but it's against the rules.
2: When you're tired of it, maybe you should find a new home for it. That would be the the best case. But, um, you know, these wildlife, I mean, these deleterious exotic wildlife, they compete with the native wildlife. They can also harbor diseases that can be transferred into the populations. And those diseases can also be transferred onto your pets. So there are reasons for these regulations, again. Also, not, they,
0: like, encourage predators, don't they?
2: Um, well, they can be a food source for predators, right. yep. So as, as our lynx population starts to go up following our, our hair cycle that we're now on the increasing end of.
0: Right, and when you say hair cycle, you're not talking about these bunnies. You're yep. talking about hares, wild talking animals. talking
2: about hares, yeah. yep. Um, snowshoe hares. You know, we'll, we'll have um, more lynx around. We'll have more um, of our raptors around. And then that leads to problems as far as uh, conflicts with people's chickens. Um, you know, not having chicken coops that are properly contained or having electric fences around them. Which, if you have a chicken coop in town and you're listening, please put up an electric fence. That will help with talk your more about dog. that. Yeah. That will help with bears. And so we have great information on our website, um, the fishing game website, as far as what is a proper electric fence for chickens, um, or for. Um, keeping bears out of your chickens or if you're wanting to keep uh, wildlife away from other food sources. Um, these electric fences, five wire, um, grounded, alternating hot cold wires, um, all that information is on our website as far as um, how many joules this, the fence should And I out. expect
0: if someone wanted someone to talk them through it, they could call.
2: They could call and we're happy to, to discuss it with them. Um, but this this uh, these resources are out there um, and we want folks to take advantage of them because they will really cut down on the issues we have between domestics and, and wildlife.
0: So that does bring us to cold water safety or cold weather safety tips. So I want to, but I want to start with you, Jason Harriman, with uh, best practices in terms of dealing with wildlife in the wintertime. and then we're going to move on to livestock and and house pets.
2: So the the big thing with wildlife is to give them their space. Um, You know especially as our snow loads get higher the the biggest issues we have is is moose moose in town moose in neighborhoods you know those are big animals that can be hazardous to people um you know they really just need some space Um, don't open your door in the morning and let your dog go running out the door Um, that's one of the big issues we have in town Um, especially if you don't have a fence even if you do have a fence especially if it's only like four feet tall that's not a barrier to a moose Take a minute, open your door, see if there's a moose out there. Oh yeah, the more
0: than once during the winter, right at the bottom step of my ste- of my porch steps, there is a snuggled up sleepy moose.
2: Yeah. And and these guys just, just need some space and need some patience from people. <laughs> uh, yes, Cedar. Cedar, Cedar, Cedar says
0: agrees. Cedar's objecting to not letting people open the door and let the dogs run. <laughs> but but we'll make him understand. <laughs> So are you ready? To, is there anything else you want to add to that? Uh, no. Okay, then help. Jillian Rogers from the animal shelter. Let's talk about cold weather safety tips for outside animals. Like you were talking about barn cats and yeah. outside uh, outside animals.
3: Yeah, so, so shelter is the biggest thing. So I guess I need to clarify that if you've got community cats that are not yours, that are, you are not um, charged with being the caretaker for, and you don't want them around and you are inside city limits, um, we have live traps that you can use. Don't feed them. I know that sounds counterintuitive and everybody wants to save animals, but if you don't want a cat peeing on your deck or bugging your cat through the window, don't put food out for it. It will find food elsewhere. Um, but a lot of people in town have asked us just about um, shelter for for you know maybe a lost cat or a bunny or whatever. And so... An igloo cooler, like I said, just with a little hole cut in it filled with straw is definitely adequate for, for shelter. Um, it's it's cold, cats need shelter that are outside and there are community cats around that don't have an owner. Um, we, we take a lot of them in at the shelter, we hear a lot about them. So um, if you've got a dog that lives outside primarily, you know, make sure it's a double coated dog. Otherwise it should not be outside all the time. Um, and again, I'm not opposed necessarily to outdoor dogs but it needs to have adequate shelter. So an insulated doghouse with straw. No blankets, nothing that can get wet and freeze. Straw is a great insulator because it's hollow. And even if it gets a little wet, it still um,
2: is not a, a good insulator. So, When you say double-coated, Jillian, I'm sure there's a lot of people who don't know what you're referring to there.
3: Yeah, huskies, uh, newfies, bigger oh, dogs. Oh, with an undercoat with and undercoat. a fluffy overcoat. Yes, yeah, yeah. The ones that are really fun when they start shedding. <laughs> Um, yeah, if it's not a double coated dog, it doesn't belong outside in an Alaska winter.
0: Okay. And are there any, um, are there any other tips? We're, we're about to move on to talk of spay and neutering, but before we do, I want to, uh, I want to make sure that we've covered.
2: Well, just going back to, to moose for a moment. Um, you talked about that moose outside your doorstep. You know, one thing, there's a few things folks can do to help limit that interaction. Um, one would be if you have bushes around your, your front entryway that uh, moose like, uh, willows especially, um, things that they actually see as a food source. If you don't want a moose hanging around your front doorstep, trim those back. Um, you know, maybe remove them from around your doorstep area and put them somewhere else in the yard where you have a little bit of space. Um, we've had issues sometimes of people using rock salt to melt ice on their steps. Um that will attract wildlife. Oh, thank you. I
0: had not considered that. Yeah.
2: um, That can, that could bring a moose right onto your, onto your deck and licking up the, the salt, um, as well as other wildlife. I mean, your, your rodents as, as well. Um, you know, the, the bird seed underneath your feeders that gets on the ground, um, you know, don't put a, a bird feeder right next to your front door. Uh, Put that out in the yard somewhere where you can watch it because that bird seed that does get on the ground, that, again, is an attractant for for moose and a good way to end up with one right by your front door that you're going to surprise.
0: Also, I mean, it's, I know people can be dangerous and such, but the calls that you and also Lieutenant Browning must get to have to deal with large wildlife, I realize you don't deal with bears too much this time of year, but mostly it's moose, isn't it? And it can be enormously dangerous to the people who are going out on those calls.
2: We, you know, we're trained to to deal with it, so it's um, not too much of uh, of an issue.
0: Do you feel like moose are more predictable than people? I
2: I (laughs) tend to enjoy moose more than I do people (laughs) as far as predicting their their behavior. I I actually uh, feel more sorry for Lieutenant Browning, who has to deal with the people aspect, which to me are a little more unpredictable.
0: Okay, well, I am. I want to uh, find out, Lieutenant Browning. Is there anything that you want to add in terms of dealing with wild animals uh, this time of year, or any in terms of keeping people safe and keeping the animals alive, so that you don't have to go out and kill an animal?
4: I think Jason pretty much hit all the points. Um, you know, the biggest thing is just give them a wide berth. Um, they're stressed out, uh, give them their space and, and time and yeah, if they still don't leave and give us a call.
0: Thank you so much. That's Lieutenant Ryan Browning from Homer police department. And of course, Jason Harriman from the Alaska department of fish and game office here in Homer. I, uh, I want to move on to, uh, first let's see to, um, to so Jen Liston Bowman, is Cedar spayed or neutered? Cedar is neutered. He is neutered. And did that happen before you picked him up from the shelter?
1: Yes. Yep. They took care of all that before we adopted him.
0: So I want to I want to hear from uh from Jillian Rogers from Alaska Mindful Paws and Homer Animal Shelter to talk about uh the importance of spaying and neutering. Do you even let an animal out of your care without? spaying or neutering them?
3: Uh, we will. It's pretty rare. But if a kitten is too young and underweight, um, we will do what we call foster to adopt. So people fill out all the appropriate paperwork. We do all the vetting. We do the adoption counseling and check references. They pay. Um, but the final paperwork is not signed until they bring the animal back for their surgeries. Um, because, you know, a kitten should be in the, in the home as soon as, as soon as is appropriate. And if it's just a little too young for their surgery, then um, we'll let it go home with the new owners. Um, puppies generally, we, we've been working with KPAL Rescue, Kenai Peninsula Animal Lovers Rescue. A lot when we get young puppies, they'll take them right from us, which is good. We have the resources in the, the room to handle kittens. Um, but as far as puppies go, it's not, it's not the best environment for them. They don't get as much enrichment or activity as they would in a foster home and keep and our rescue. Plus, well, they kind of need to be a little older,
0: don't they? Or no? Uh,
3: it depends on the rescue. You know, some rescues are spaying and neutering puppies at twelve weeks. Um, the vets here recommend six, nine, twelve months. Um, so yeah, I think it depends on the vet. I see. And the rescue.
0: And what about um, can a person contact? So a person got a dog from a neighbor or wherever, then. Can a person contact Homer Animal Friends or the shelter for help if they can't afford to spay or neuter their animal? Yes.
3: Uh, Homer Animal Friends has been offering spay-neuter vouchers for 30 years. They are an incredible asset to this community. Um, They are also hosting a dog spay-neuter clinic uh, upcoming in the next couple months. I believe they just had a cat clinic. And the shelter last year, we had several cat and dog spay-neuter clinics, low-cost or no-cost um, our budget is just too tight right now, so the shelter is not doing one, but I know that Han- Homer Animal Friends is doing one, either through the Homer Veterinary Clinic or through KBH, which is Catrunk Bay Animal Hospital. Um, but, yeah, you can call 235-SPAY is Homer Animal Friends number, and they have information about vouchers. It's $100 off, and or if you're on public assistance or need extra help, then then sometimes they'll pay almost the entire cost. So it's at least
0: $100 off. At least
3: $100 off, and the shelter does help when we can um but ag- again our, our funds are, are limited and so we're hoping that um our well, budget t- gets a little boost here in the coming
0: months well we'll get to fundraising here in just a moment but i have an email t- from kathy and i <clears throat> it's on my list so i'm glad that she brought it up uh this is i guess for jason harriman and maybe a little bit for uh, jillian rogers uh Inquiring about the impact of outdoor cats on declining wild bird populations. So do you recommend to people that they not have outdoor cats, or what is the, what's the thinking on that?
2: That's a, a really good question. There's been a lot of work and studies done on this. Um, and yes, I highly recommend people not have outdoor cats. Um, when it comes to wildlife, they are one of the leading causes of the decline in our um, wild bird populations. Um, there's also issues as far as disease transmission, your cat's less likely to live as long, um, Jillian might talk to, to some of those, but, uh, yeah, I always encourage folks to have, keep their cats indoors, not let them outside and roam.
0: And Kathy points out in the email that it's not just, you. you it's not even that cats will catch a bird, there are plenty of birds that nest on the ground, and so they can, feral or outside cats... Can really have an effect on the bird population.
2: Yeah, even even if you don't think your cat is uh, catching birds, if they're not bringing them home to you, you'd be surprised at how many birds they actually are catching. Um, you know, they've we've done studies where we've actually put cameras on cats on their collars. Oh, I bet they love that. Track them ar- around <laughs> and, and actually looked at the number of um, birds that they and small ones that they do kill in a day, um, and it. The cat can be very well fed and it doesn't matter. Their instinct is still to go out and hunt and forage. And
3: and I have to say, I don't entirely agree with that. Um, go ahead.
2: Let's get some controversy er, going.
3: Leg wrestle. Um, <coughs> I think a cat that really wants to be outside and is not being allowed to be outside, you know, it's, it comes to a quality of life, especially we see a lot of cats that have been indoor, outdoor that come into the shelter. And if they were just to, be thrown inside a house. I mean, we, and we by we, I mean the collective we, as far as uh, people who are in the animal welfare field, including Clear Creek Cat Rescue, have been lobbying the Board of Game to change the rules in Alaska for trap, neuter, release. TNR is done in almost every other state, but it is illegal to do in Alaska. So that means you trap a community cat, also known as a stray cat, you neuter it, you vaccinate it, and then you release it back. Over time, that cat colony or that cat population decreases. Right? I learned
0: something perfect, c- completely new today. I had no idea you weren't allowed to do that it's in Alaska. A, I thought everybody issue. did
3: that. No, it's a, it's a contentious issue here because of the bird population. And I love my wild birds too. Um, but I do have one of my five Cats that goes outside on a regular basis. He is supervised and we have a safe place for him to go outside and come back in. He doesn't go out overnight. And so I, I guess I would recommend a safe environment for your cat to go outside. Catios are becoming all the rage.
0: Is it like a screened porch for yeah, your cat?
3: Yeah, with different enrichment and activities. Not everybody has the money for that. Right. Um, you know, cats can adapt to harnesses and leashes or even a small fenced area for your cat. And and we get a lot of calls about unrestrained cats too, and it's an issue. Um, peeing and pooping in the garden, spraying on things, not to mention the impact that it has on wildlife. So I agree with that part. I just don't necessarily agree that all cats should be indoor cats, oh. if, if it's done appropriately. And again, it comes down to resources and money. When when
2: I'm talking indoor cats, Jillian, to clarify, a, a catio. That's different. Oh yeah. That, I, that's I a know. that's a cat that's going outside and is in a as you said, a constrained environment. That's not one that's just out roaming on the yeah. landscape.
3: I think if trap new to release were ever approved in Alaska, you would see the number of stray cats go down eventually because the way a cat colony works, which is a large group of cats if you pull one out, people say, oh, just euthanize them. If you pull one out and euthanize it, I mean, two more are going to step right in and take its place. It's a vicious cycle. And unless we're actually neutering and spaying all these animals.
0: The population the, has to be sterile.
3: Yeah, and the population eventually will go down. Um, short term, it's, there's not a great solution. But in the long term, TNR is the solution for um, community cats that are impacting wildlife.
0: Well, thank you all so much. Lieutenant Browning had to sign off, but thank you so much to Lieutenant Browning of the Homer Police Department for being here. Also, Cedar, Cedar, thank you so much for being here today. And Jen Liston Bowman, I know we didn't uh, we didn't uh, talk to you too much, but we really appreciated you bringing Cedar in and telling his story um, of his of tragedy and triumph. Uh, is there anything that you would say to someone who's thinking of of adopting and through the shelter
1: yeah um, definitely be patient and try to find wait for the right um, right dog or cat for you um, I, I was patient there's lots of dogs that come up on the shelter page that are you know I'm interested in but just with our family dynamics and um, just making sure the right situation um, is there but go for it Thanks. they're awesome
0: Thanks so much. Uh, and Jason Harriman from the Alaska Department of Fish and Game office in Homer. Uh, is there anything that's not, that's, that was on your list to talk about or any final comments you want to make?
2: Uh, I guess I would just ask folks to be patient with moose this winter, give them their space. Um, if you have a, a garden fence and the snow's building up around it and you're worried about that moose getting through that fence, maybe snow blow, shovel the, the snow around it, keep that fence height up, um, they will get into it. Please don't feed the wildlife. Uh, it's not really helpful for anyone in the long term. Um, and uh, yeah, keep your, keep your dogs uh, constrained and, and under control. It'd be helpful for all of us.
0: Right. That moose is not your friend, no matter how much you want him to be. <laughs> it's, what about uh, Jillian Rogers from the Homer Animal Shelter? Uh, I'd like to give you the last word if there's anything you'd like to impart and let people know about. Yeah,
3: I just want to thank the Homer community for ongoing support and the love we feel at the Homer Animal Shelter. Um, Please be patient with us. We are always doing the best we can. Um, Shelters and rescues around the country are at crisis level, so if we can't take your animal immediately, um, we offer resources and help in other ways. Um, Yeah, we
0: we just appreciate the community very much. Well, thanks so much. That is Jillian Rogers from Homer Animal Shelter and Alaska Mindful Paws. Thanks also to Lieutenant Ryan Browning and Jen Liston-Bowman and Cedar, of course, and Jason Harriman from the Alaska Department of Fish and Game. I'm Kathleen Gustafson. This has been The Coffee Table.